live from everywhere USA. It's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Oh, it's not Jimmy Fallon. It's Jason Chaffetz filling in for Jimmy. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy today because you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. There's lots happening out in the world. There's a lot of news for what is normally supposed to be a little bit of a, a respite, a little bit of a relaxing time in between Christmas and New Year's. People getting ready, got their plans, got everything going on. Jimmy's taking a little relaxation, visiting the in-laws. That that should be interesting. So I'm filling in for Jimmy, and um, because there's so much going on, we got a lot to talk about, and uh, that's going to make for a fun, fun show. So thanks again for uh, allowing us into your world and giving us some of your time and like I said some big things happening uh I know we're all in preparation for a couple days from now because as you know December 30th is National Bacon Day and oh yeah there's the sound I love bacon I don't know about you but National Bacon Day that's something that's very worthy. So uh, I, the Chaffetz family is getting ready for National Bacon Day. It's also today, all, all of a sudden, I saw Denzel Washington trending on X, and I thought, uh-oh, let's see what's going on there. It's his birthday. One of the best actors we've ever seen on uh, on film. Uh, his, he's 69 years old. I kind of gauge my own life by looking at some actors that I've watched throughout my life, you know, and, and when they have birthdays, I think, man, I'm just getting a little bit older, but Denzel Washington's birthday is happening. Um, but you know what? There's other things that are happening and some of them are unexplainable. And I saw this story about uh, Governor and Nikki Haley because I used the word, I uh, used the, the title governor because I think she was, you know, this is what's really relevant about her tough, tough questions she got. She was in Berlin, New Hampshire, and had this back and forth about the Civil War with just somebody who's asking a question but doesn't mention slavery is one of the causes or one of the root issues that was uh, involved and engaged in the, the Civil War of the United States of America, which is Pretty stunning, and I, I went and read the transcript, but I want you to actually hear this. Now, the questioner's a little bit faint, but Nikki Haley's right up on the mic, and uh, have a listen to what's causing this controversy and her having to answer questions about the answers of her questions, which is never really a good sign. So let's go to cut one. Nikki Haley asking the tough question about what was the root cause of the Civil War. Well, don't come with an easy question or anything. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil War was? I'm not running for president. I, 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 I wanted to see uh, your view on the cause of the Civil War. I mean, I think it always comes down to the role of government and what the rights of the people are. Thank you. And in, in the year 2023, it's astonishing to me that you answer that question without mentioning the word slavery. What do you want me to say about slavery? No, um, uh, you answered my question. Wow. Yeah, I mean, even teed it up to say, um, you know, you probably should have mentioned the word slavery, and she didn't. I don't know what you think about that, but it's it's pretty stunning that, that you know, particularly given being the governor of, of South Carolina, 
Uh, that seemed like an easy layup. I don't know what's so controversial about saying it would it, that that was one of the root causes of the difference between the North and the South. But um, uh, I wouldn't have put that in one of my top questions to ask uh, Governor Haley. But um, for her to botch it so badly and then try to explain it and then explain it again, and this is days before the Iowa caucus, that does not bode well. You know, there have been cases out there trying to say, oh, she's surging. Well, I don't know that she's surging anymore. A lot of people are going to scratch their head and say, if you can't give the obvious answer to an obvious question, uh, that that could cause you some real, real problems. I just don't understand why that's such a difficult question. Now, I also want to move on and talk about uh, uh, President Joe Biden because uh, – when you have another uh, octogenarian coming to your defense about your age, um, it really becomes quite interesting. And uh, John Kerry, uh, you know, he's a senator. He was a presidential candidate. He was, a, you know, a secretary. I mean, the guy's been around the block, right, politically. Um, but he's out there trying to make the case, particularly to young people, that if you are arguing that Joe Biden shouldn't be the commander-in-chief and the president of the United States because of his age, well, then you're just a flat-out, that's ageism. And, uh, you know, you should be involved and engaged into that. Go to cut nine. This is uh, John Kerry's response. I said to my friends when we were gathered, I said, you know, at 80, I can do everything I used to do when I was 50, but I don't remember what it is. (laughs) Anyway, it's fun. On that note, that's not true, by the way. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) So it must really tick you off, all this stuff about Biden and his age. It does. I think that's sort of an ageism. He's done a brilliant job, I think, this president. He's strengthened NATO. He's been able to galvanize people around critical values that are at stake in Ukraine, critical values. I don't know what has happened to a lot of people who back away from that now because the cost of uh, not persevering would be just extraordinary for the world. And I think he knows how the Congress works. He knows America, and he also knows how the world works. And that's what you need today. I, I would argue that the uh, the reason the poll numbers are so upside down and bad for Joe Biden is because his policies are failing. That's the first and foremost. Um, I think this election is going to be all about safety, uh, safety overseas, safety on our borders, safety on our streets, safety in your wallet. Um, and on all of those marks, uh, Joe Biden is failing. If John Kerry thinks that Joe Biden has been successful, you know, there wasn't the war raging in Israel and Gaza uh, when Donald Trump was president. They didn't have Russia uh, trying to take over Ukraine. That happened during the Biden administration. And certainly if you look at what China is doing and being on the march and being so demonstrative about its um, you know, taking over Taiwan and its China One policy, I, I then you just don't understand. And they, these are people who supposedly do understand. Now, remember, Joe Biden was a United States senator back in 1972. He had been in office for four years before Jimmy Carter was even elected. So the guy has been there forever. And I think a younger generation is looking at this and saying, gosh, when you lead a lifestyle uh, that is like a retiree, I mean, he spent the time at Camp David, which is 
great. You know, it's there to, to, to work and to relax and then leave and go to the Virgin Islands for another week. Um, well, all of this stuff is going on, particularly at the border and everything else. It just doesn't make it look like you're working very hard. Some numbers are estimating that 40% of his time has been away from the White House. I wouldn't say totally on vacation. I think that's pushing it too far. But, you know, when you're at, out at your beach house and back home um, and go into, you know, Martha's Vineyard and you're going out to Camp David and then you're going back out to the Virgin Islands, it doesn't exactly strike people as somebody who's really, really vigorous. And some people would try to say, oh, you know, it's hard to keep up with the schedule of the president. It's just unbelievable how hard he works. I don't think anybody's buying that. Um, but also one of the biggest things out there is immigration. Now, the Border Patrol, I, I feel, for these men and women who are spending time away from their families in a dangerous situation, um, it's... You know, during the holidays, not getting the time off that they deserve, not being able to do their jobs, which they got excited about at some point in their life and joining the Border Patrol, basically doing, you know, a, a bunch of paperwork, changing diapers, doing all kinds of things to make sure that all these unaccompanied minors by the thousands are being uh, looked after um, and then dealing with the uh, the massive surge that's going on on the border, it really, really is stunning. Now, this fits with the last topic and this topic, but Kamala Harris is totally absent from these discussions. The vice president is not in Mexico like Secretary Blinken and Secretary Mayorkas are, um, and she's hasn't been to the border in a couple years now, I don't think. And uh, she's not out there necessarily campaigning. She's not a real help to Joe Biden and booing him up to make him, uh, you know, in his reelection campaign, their reelection campaign. I want you to listen to cut 24. This is the kind of word salad that she's making in the kitchen all, all day long. You know, it's pretty hard to come up with this on a daily basis, but she does it and she does it like nobody else. Uh, cut 24, Kamala Harris. You know, every election cycle, we talk about this is the most election of our lifetime. Lawrence, this one is. This one is. We are literally talking about people who are attempting to divide our country in the most crude, frankly, and profound way. The most election of our lifetime. Yep, you heard it here from on Kamala Harris. Uh, this is the kind of thing that she does on a regular basis. It, it's really stunning. And we're not solving the immigration issue. We're not tackling that head on. No, we're not. So we're going to be talking about that through a, through the time of the show. We got a lot to talk about. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the CIA. What was going on with the CIA? Were they working to cover up what was going on with uh, the Wuhan lab? We're going to talk about that next. So stay with us here on Fox Across America. Taking the edge off, one story at a time. America needs to learn how to lighten up. You're hanging out with Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America.
All right, this one's for the fellas who want to tap the brakes on the aging process. How do you do that, Jimbo? We're talking about Nugenics Total T. Okay, every day that passes by is a day that you lose testosterone, which means less muscle, less energy, less get up and go in the bedroom. That doesn't sound any fun. But are you really ready to lose your shape, your muscle, maybe even in your energy? You don't have to. Okay, you can slow it down with Nugenics Total T. Nugenics Total T, it'll boost free and total testosterone, and it'll help you get the old fire back at work, in the gym, in the bedroom. How about it? Nugenics Total T Testosterone Booster has Testafin, which will boost your testosterone. You know, the man hormone. How about more of that? You can try Nugenics Total T before you buy. There's nothing to lose, everything to gain. Now, get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total T when you text 231-231 and enter the keyword jimmy text now you'll get a bottle of nugenics thermo x the newest and most powerful fat incinerator ever with key ingredients to help you lose fat fast and get lean fast it is absolutely free your complimentary sample available to you if you text 231-231 and enter keyword jimmy it's 231-231 and you enter the keyword jimmy texting enrolls you in a recurring automated text messages consent not required to purchase message and data rates may apply Well, thanks for joining us on Fox Across America. I really want to give a shout-out to those listeners on uh, KOAL down in Castle Country uh, in Utah. Uh, part of my uh, – well, it was all part of my congressional district back when I was in Congress. Um, I had the pleasure of serving with uh, our next guest. His name is Mike Howell. He now oversees the Oversight Project at the Heritage Foundation, of which I'm involved. And uh, – the Heritage Foundation is really putting efforts into this oversight project um, and uh, really getting after it and being proactive, trying to extract the details from our government. You know, too often you have people in government, they forget that the government works for the people and it's not the other way around. And yet when the people want to extract documents and get information, it's really difficult. So, the Heritage Foundation has taken a little bit more proactive, aggressive uh, take on that. And so we're pleased to have Mike Howell joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Jason. All right. So one of the fascinating projects you're working on is what's going on with the CIA. CIA. Were they involved and engaged in maybe trying to cover up and smother the origins of uh, COVID-19? What's your take on it? Well, I think it's indisputable that they are. I mean, uh, there's there's two separate things going on. One of them is the, the lawsuit we have. But let me start with something else first. Earlier this year, Congress passed the COVID Origins Act. I mean, it got bipartisan support. President Biden signed it. The law was very simple. The intelligence community, of which the CIA is a huge part, was to declassify all of the COVID Origins materials. Okay. What happened was they blew past the deadline and then issued a paltry five-page uh, report with nothing new in it. And so by virtue of that fact alone, you, I think it's indisputable that they are covering up the COVID origins material that they refused to release in contravention of the law that both parties, you know, passed and got together. So absolutely they're involved in the cover-up. The, the second point is our lawsuit here. Um, in September of this year, a whistleblower went to, you know, the House Oversight Committee, your old committee as chairman, and told them that he was at the CIA, a highly credible guy who was, you know, in there for a couple decades. And he was aware of the fact that of this COVID origins discovery team, seven CIA officers who were supposed to, you know, come up with the theory as to where COVID came from, six of the seven said, we think it is a lab leak. 
One of the seven said, hey, I don't know. I think it's maybe an animal-to-animal transmission. Now, the CIA famously came out, and this is, you know, in the lead-up to the election, and said, we just have no idea. Our guys can't figure it out or come to a consensus. And so the CIA overruled their own experts. And here's where things get really hairy. They paid the six people who said they thought it was a lab leak to change their opinion and then stay quiet. And that's what the whistleblowers told Congress. And so we're suing for everything about that, all the documents, you know, the payments, et cetera. Do we know how much money we think that is? I don't think that's that's been released in the record yet. The the oversight committee and the the intelligence committee may have that information from the whistleblower, but they haven't put that out there yet. But that certainly would be part of you know the documents covered in our lawsuit. So what's the what's the next step? Well, we got assigned to a judge here in D.C. court, and so we're going to go in front of the judge. The government's in you know a little bit of a corner here because the law is very clear. You know, as you said in your, your wind up, the documents belong to the American people. They're not the real custodians of them. You and I are. And the law, law is clear on that point and gives the government 20 days to turn it over. Now, they're way past that deadline with us, and so they're going to go to the judge basically make up every excuse they can come up with. And you're familiar with these from, from when you're on the Hill. They're going to say, oh, we don't have the resources. Oh, some of it's classified, that kind of stuff. And we're going to fight them at every step of the way and, and make sure the documents do come out, just like we've done in you know, numerous other lawsuits. Yeah, what I found, and, and I'm not talking specifically about the CIA, but and you, you and I have, have lived through this. Um, oftentimes when they get caught in a tough spot, they'll say, oh, well, we've given you this many hundreds of pages or this many thousands of pages, so which our response always was, uh, well, so what percentage of the documents have you produced? And um, I, I think this is strengthened not only by the legislation but by FOIA and whatnot. They will try to hide behind the idea of, um, you know, that some degree of classification. But, you know, the Oversight Committee's got its hands full. Um, but somewhere between the Intel Committee and uh, the Oversight Committee, you're just going to have to call in those people and probably do a deposition and get them to cough up the details because then there is no classification issue. You got people in there that have the classified issues. Is that is that kind of way you see it happening, or are there other avenues as well? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, next year hopefully is going to be a pretty intense year for the oversight committees in terms of bringing people in. Uh, I think we're going to learn a lot pretty soon of what kind of compliance they get in this impeachment inquiry. And if they start getting documents coming out, I hope they broaden their efforts elsewhere. But on the classification issue in, in our case, there's no argument as to this stuff being classified. Giving a CIA analyst a gift card or a monetary bonus or whatever it was to change their opinion that was the basis of a public report. So the report and the conclusion, or the lack thereof actually, was a public report. So how can you say what went into it was classified when the end result was was public and so that's the argument we're going to have in front of the judge. I mean, we, we run into this stuff with DOJ. We, we sue them frequently. Um, and we, we got it kind of down to a science now. So I feel pretty good about the chances of these documents coming out. Yeah, I would, I, I would be curious how a judge would somehow try to justify that any payment to a person would actually be classified. That, that you're right, whether it's a, a small gift card or a, a, a big bonus or time off. Yeah. Yep. And it's you and I who are paying them and all the listeners out there. And, and I think this is like the foundational principle we really need to, you know, get everyone in the country to reacquaint themselves with. It's not the governments who own the document. Yeah, we own them. They work true. for us. Mike Howell from the Heritage Foundation, the Oversight Project. Thanks for joining us on Fox Across America. Stay with us. We got a lot more coming up. Stay with us.
Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. You know, as you look at it, you got 2024, you got the election, you got all kinds of things that are happening in the world. And as we do it, we just, uh, you know, I, I'm glad you gave us part of our day. And uh, we got a great guest who's uh, joining us now on the line, Frank LaRose. He's the Ohio Secretary of State. More importantly, I think he was a former Special Forces Green Beret. He's a, he's a GOP candidate for the United States Senate coming out of Ohio, uh, Senator Sherrod Brown's been in that seat for a long time now. Um, but we're cl- just thrilled to have Frank LaRose joining us uh, from Ohio. Thanks for joining us. Well, hey, Jason. Yeah, thank you. And you're right. Brown's been in there for a long time. It begs the question, what has Brown done for you? And if you're in Ohio and not too much, if you're a leftist, maybe a lot. But this is our opportunity to beat him. It's going to take a battle-tested candidate to do that, and that's why I'm so excited about this race. And uh, just uh, under 90 days until the primary coming up on March 19th in Ohio. Wow, that is crazy fast. First of all, thanks for your service to our country. You know, um, as you look at the military, I mean, one of the things you do in the Senate is, uh, you know, the military expenditures, things that are happening around the world. What's your general take on how things are going in the world? Um, Because it seems pretty volatile when it wasn't so volatile just three years ago. Well, thanks for for saying that uh, you appreciate my service. I always blush a little bit when people say that. I I tend to say thanks for allowing me to serve the greatest nation on earth, travel around the world with my best friends, jump out of airplanes, fire machine guns. I love it. I still do it as a reservist at this point. But no, you're right. The world is a dangerous place right now, and it's because of the weakness that President Biden has projected. Weakness with the withdrawal from Afghanistan, weakness in allowing this invasion to occur on our southern border, weakness in the way that he's handled the crisis in Ukraine, and weakness, by the way, in how he's handled and is handling the situation in Israel right now, where um, more Jews were killed in one day on October 7th than any day since the Holocaust. And it's that weakness that causes instability. We need to return to the Reagan doctrine of peace through strength. By the way, that means that we need to invest in our military. That means that we need to be strategic and thoughtful about where we engage. But if we engage, we need to do so robustly. And for heaven's sakes, we need to work on recruitment. When I signed up, uh, I was excited to join the military as a patriotic young 18-year-old. The Navy right now thinks that the way that you fix a drought in recruiting is to hire a drag queen recruiter. No, it's about reaching out to patriotic young Americans and get them in the military so they can be uh, their best version of themselves and serve this country because it's worth doing. What's you... um... It's a great message, and it's so important. But as you uh, traverse the uh, 
the countryside of Ohio and talk to people and voters and just bump into people at grocery stores and pumping gas and that sort of thing. What what are their big concerns going into this uh, this election year as they turn the corner? What what are their what do you hear people in Ohio saying? Yeah, it's the economy. Despite the messaging from the Biden administration, where somehow they're claiming that things are great, Ohioans know better. The wages are not keeping up with the cost of living, and so normal families like us have to look at the account at the end of the month and figure out which bills we're going to be able to pay. It's it's also parents' rights. Um, I I have three young daughters, an eight, a ten, and a twelve-year-old. I'm the only candidate in the race with school-age children, and we want our children to be educated, not indoctrinated. It's about returning to that idea that, of course, parents know better about how to raise their children. It's also uh, about securing the border. And anybody that says, well, Ohio's not a border state, well, first of all, we are. We border Canada through Lake Erie. But we're a border (laughs) state in that thousands of people are dying as a result of fentanyl overdoses. Crime is rampant in our major cities because of the invasion that's occurring at our southern border. We don't want to secure the border because we hate people on the other side. That's not the reason. We want to secure the border because we love America, and you don't have a sovereign nation unless you have a secure border no that's absolutely right you know it's fascinating too is uh, of course these cities and states that claim to be sanctuary cities and states they've never given up that title of being sanctuary cities and states <laughs> but what they do want is more money hey just keep sending us money they don't want to actually fix the immigration problem down at the border Listen to this clip, uh, clip 14. This is Brandon Judd. He was on Fox and Friends. He's the head of the Border Patrol Union on his message to the mayors pleading for more federal assistance, a.k.a. money. Their message is going to fail because they're not putting the blame on the proper person. If they would actually come from a position of strength and, and start talking to Biden like it's his fault, then they would get his attention. As long as they continue to deflect, as long as they continue to not tell the truth, then Biden is given a pass. And until he is, is, is called on the carpet, he's not going to do anything. So these mayors need to clearly say this problem is, is a federal government problem. It's not a Greg Abbott problem. It's a federal government problem. And if they put the blame where where it lies, then they have a chance of getting this crisis fixed. What's your take on that? I saw the same hypocrisy firsthand. This summer I was in Denver for my military reserve duty for two weeks, and when I flipped on the TV station in my hotel room, the mayor was complaining The mayor of Denver was complaining that the governor of Texas had sent busloads of migrants. Well, you declared yourself a sanctuary city. What do you expect? And and, and this is the kind of hypocrisy from the left. Listen, we know what the problem is. I served on the border. I was down there as part of a counter-narcotics task force 20 years ago. It was a crisis then. You know how to fix it. It's about building the wall. Physical barriers work. Ask Pelosi. She built a wall around the U.S. Capitol when she was concerned about her own safety. Borders need walls, and they need men and women with guns to secure them. We need to support those hardworking Border Patrol agents, and we need to remove the incentive. We must be clear that if your first act in this country is breaking our laws, there will be no amnesty. You will not be eligible for U.S. citizenship, never eligible for U.S. government benefits. We need to take away the incentives for those to come here illegally, and only once those things happen can we talk about fixing what is truly a broken immigration system because we want to have legal immigrants that come here and strive and, uh, and, and become part of our society but that can't happen until we have border security yeah we have more than a million people each year come to our country legally and lawfully they come through the front door they do it with the proper proper documentation the proper vetting 
Um, but that doesn't seem to be good enough. Um, and I, this continues to be a scourge on the on the country and will cause all kinds of problems. Um, and we can continue on and on about that. We're going to talk about the, more of that later in the show. We're talking with Frank LaRose. He's the Ohio Secretary of State, uh, served in our United States military, but he's running for the United States Senate in Ohio. You know, one of the big things, uh, Frank, if you're able to secure this position and beat somebody who is out there and been in the office a long time, and you're right, pretty hard to name any sort of accomplishment that uh, Sherrod Brown's had. But um, as you as you look at that, you're going to have to tackle the debt and deficit. I mean, our numbers financially are so upside down in this country. Look, I served eight and a half years in Congress, so it's not an easy answer. But what would be your approach in trying to tackle this massive problem for our country? Well, let's talk about the scale. We're on our way to $34 trillion. This is generational theft. The debt payment alone, just the interest payments on that debt, is going to be more than the entire defense budget within the next few years. This is clearly unsustainable, but any politician who claims that they can fix this quickly is selling you a bill of goods. This is about creating a trajectory where over a few decades we can finally get this under control. And we don't have a revenue problem. As a, as a component of GDP, revenues are, are, are strong in this country. Uh, in fact, even you know with the tax cuts, people produce more, uh, they, they, they build more businesses. So revenues are strong. We have a spending problem. And it seems like the one thing Republican and Democratic elites in Washington agree on is spending more of your hard-earned money. I co-sponsored the resolution in our state Senate to call on the federal government to pass a balanced budget amendment. It needs to start with that. It needs to go to things like zero-based budgeting. As you know, the conversation in D.C. come budget time, on the rare occasion that we actually have a thoughtful, deliberative budget process and not just this 11th-hour crisis, but when there is a budget conversation, it's often about how much more do we spend this year? No, I think you start from the first penny and you justify every amount of money that that uh, whatever administration is getting. That's the way that we can get this under control. And it's going to take Republicans and Democrats working together almost by definition to get this problem solved. Yeah, most people don't realize 75% of our so-called budget is mandatory programmatic spending that continues on whether or not Congress votes on it or doesn't vote on it. So, And that's not just Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security. That is hundreds of other programs that are are out there that have been pushed into this category where Congress just continues in, in like I said, in perpetuity without ever addressing it. I totally agree with you on a, a balanced budget amendment and, and why that isn't sent out to the states. I, you know, as you look at the debt ceiling, my view of that is, hey, we're not going to increase the debt ceiling until the states get a chance to vote on whether or not we're going to balance our budget. That, and yet this last round, they increased the debt ceiling not to a specific amount, but for a specific time, putting no limits on what they could add to the nation's credit card until, of course, you know, January 2025, you know, when a new president's uh, uh, potentially coming on board there. So um, a big, massive program, uh, problem. Uh, last topic I want to try to tackle with you. Again, your service in our military cannot thank you enough. But I see too many veterans not getting the care, mental health care, support and services that they need. And I see the priorities going to people that are here illegally. They haven't served our country. They broke into our country. And, uh, you know, Gavin Newsom just celebrated the 20th anniversary of his 10-year plan 
uh, to tackle and solve homelessness in in San Francisco. Um, liberal answers to this are exacerbating the problem. What, what can we do for our, our nation's veterans to make this situation better? Classic misplaced priorities. Uh, we all know that men and women come home from combat with wounds that are visible and, and those that are not visible. And making sure that those individuals get the help that they need is crucial. We know that something like 22 of my fellow veterans commit suicide on a daily basis. That is unacceptable. Uh, we know that the incidence of divorce, alcoholism, drug abuse among combat veterans is high, much higher than the national average. And, and, and the tragedy of this is that people can get better. There used to be this old sort of tough guy mentality of I'm just going to kind of grit it out. Well, that turns into self-medicating through alcohol and, and other things. People can get better. I've seen it with friends of mine. And uh, we're talking about people that may be in their 20s or 30s that have a full life ahead of them, and they're going to be great, productive Americans. They just need a little bit of help. The VA is not serving them as well as it should. There are organizations out there trying to fill the gaps. I serve on the board of the Green Beret Foundation, for example, and, and uh, we're doing good work on a daily basis. But it's really the responsibility of the government to make sure that we take care of these men and women who have written a blank check to this country and uh, bear the, the wounds of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I appreciate your work on that. Again, uh, Frank LaRose, Ohio Secretary of State, former Special Forces Green Beret, and uh, GOP candidate for the United States Senate in Ohio. If people wanted to find you, where do they go? FrankLaRose.com. Couldn't be easier. Please do check it out. And uh, all the different social media platforms, just at Frank LaRose. And would appreciate folks uh, looking us up, maybe pitching in some help. All right. Well, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and uh, thanks for joining us on Fox Across America. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Call and speak to Jimmy now. I'm trying to use the phone! 888-788-9910. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. All right. Well, welcome back to Fox Across America. I want to play this little montage here. This is cut 13 of these mayors, sanctuary city mayors, complaining about the immigration situation. We cannot continue to do the federal government's job. The federal government must take responsibility and lead on this humanitarian crisis instead of leaving it for cities and localities to handle. We need the federal government to lean in and provide more financial assistance. All of our cities have reached a point where we are either close to capacity or nearly out of room. We need more federal support uh, to be able to manage this amount of inflow. Uh, it will crush city budgets around the country. As we know, we're looking at about $160 million of potential costs going to next year's budget. That's almost 10% of our entire city budget. Well, yeah, you know, you offer to be a sanctuary city, you're in a sanctuary state, you tacitly invite people to come there with your open arms, and then guess what? People start coming from around the world. And the solution to all that is not just more money. And that's what they're asking for. They're not going to actually solve the problem. They just want more money. That was Mayor Adams of New York City, Mayor Johnson of Chicago, and Mayor Johnston of Denver, the same cast of characters and you know what? They aren't getting nearly the influx that some of these other states like Arizona and Texas and New Mexico and even California are getting. But certainly Texas. They're getting a portion of this. And by the way, these people that are coming, 
that's where they want to go. They think they're going to New York City or Philadelphia or Denver or because that's where they want to go. And, boy, they're in for a rude awakening, not only the temperatures. Try going to, you know, Chicago in January. Good luck with that. Um, but that's where they want to go, and they're coming from all over the world. This is not – these are not – just people coming from Mexico. These are people coming from all ports of the world, and that's where they want to go. And you know what, mayors? We're not going to be able to take you seriously until you denounce the idea of a sanctuary city and a sanctuary state. Why can't you say that? Why can't you implement that? Now, Mayor Adams in New York City is going to get supposedly tough by putting new rules on how buses operate there in New York City. Let's play Cut 15 and his new executive order. Today, I'm announcing an executive order requiring charter buses transporting migrants, those often contracted by the state of Texas, to provide 32-hour notice in advance of their arrival into New York City. To make sure we have sufficient staffing, we are also requiring that these charter buses arrive only between 8.30 a.m. and 12 p.m., Monday through Friday, failure to do so result in a Class B misdemeanor, possible fines, lawsuit, and even buses being impounded. Yeah, Mayor. Uh, yeah, sure. Just arrive at this time in this location. Come on, Mayor. I'm sorry, but you, when you started your administration, you were in favor of giving people who are, who are legally the right to vote. So you've been part of the problem since the beginning. Now it's overwhelming. You don't have a place to put these people. And look, they're people. We got to be. There's a humanitarian response to all this. But what you need to do is start calling out Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and call on them to shut down the border. If you don't have that, you never solve the problem. The idea that we have Secretary Blinken and Secretary Mayorkas who go down to Mexico, meet with the Mexican president. And then say, well, we had good meetings. What does that mean? You know, we we didn't have this problem before. The border situation was getting better and better and better under Donald Trump. And now you change the policy on day one and you made it worse. And you're afraid to call out your own president. That means you're not serious about it. Don't just think you're going to need to get billions of dollars in order to solve the problem that you helped create. Because that magnet is part of the problem. And if you don't think that that's helping to drive up the cost of housing, where are you going to put all these millions of people? When rent's going up in your neighborhood, all across the country, there's a reason why. Can't throw millions of people at the problem and think that it's going to get better. Stay with us. We'll be back. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Actually, today it's Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Jimmy, and uh, thanks for joining us, giving us a part of your day. Um, I, As we get into this, I, I want to also mention my podcast. It's called Jason in the House. Just type in Jason in the House anywhere you listen to podcasts. This week I've got a kind of holiday discussion with Trey Gowdy. Um, it's kind of fun, it's lighthearted. But these podcasts that I do at Jason in the House, they're all about how people got to where they got to, how they became who they became. And it's I think they're really fun. They're certainly very popular. I hope you're able to join it, listen to, just again, type in Jason in the House. And uh, 
But joining us in the house on the radio today, uh, we're thrilled to have uh, another combat veteran who's uh, joining us. You know, last hour we talked to Frank LaRose uh, running for the United States Senate there in Ohio. He was a Green Beret, but guess what? We've got another Green Beret who's joining us, Derek Anderson. Derek is running for Congress uh, in Virginia's 7th Congressional District. Uh, first of all, Derek Anderson, thank you so much for your service to our country. Really do appreciate it. Thanks, Jason, and thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. I guest hosted, I don't know, a week or two ago or whatever it was, and I had you on, but we had like 90 seconds to chat. So I'm glad we can have a little <laughs> yeah, more no fully uh, a full discussion today because, look, we got why do you think it is we have, we have a number of candidates um, who have served in our United States military um, who, look, you had, what, six deployments? It, I mean, you, you've mm-hmm. really gone out there and served. And why do we have so many that are running for political office? Yeah, I mean, Jason, if you look at the composition of the United States Congress, right, like this is both Senate and the House side. If you look at it after, you know, World War II, after Vietnam, and even just in general, uh, you know, we, we've been as high as 70-plus percent of our Congress being com- and being veterans, just veterans wow. in general. And after 20 plus years of war in Afghanistan, Iraq, also, you know, we've got Syria and other conflicts around the world. Our Congress, I think, la- the last Congress in 2022 was the lowest it had been, I think, in 70 years. I, I think it was at 14 uh, wow. percent of the U.S. Congress was comprised of veterans. And even this Congress is still pretty low. Uh, you know, Congressman Mike Waltz and I always talk about this all the time. He's like, you know, we, we need more veterans. And after 20 plus years, I think we're sitting at roughly 17 percent of our of our um, of our, our house and Senate um, being veterans. And, you know, it's kind of it's kind of painstaking considering, you know, a lot of the I think, in my opinion, I think a lot of these veterans have come home after 20 years, multiple deployments, uh, and they're seeing kind of the state of our country right now. And they're disappointed. Right. Like we see how. You know, the cost of how inflation is. We see what's going on internationally and in our national security, how the Biden administration is handling things. I think they're just fed up. And, and you are seeing not only just veterans, you're seeing a lot of special operations guys uh, jumping into the fold and running for office. Like you mentioned, LaRose, uh, you know, I've, I've met him before. He's a great guy. Uh, there's other other Green Berets, Navy SEALs. I mean, they're just we're all jumping out. Uh, and, I, and for me personally, uh, you know, the impetus for me to jump in was watching the botch withdrawal in Afghanistan. I mean, I, I lost guys in Afghanistan. I lost five guys in Afghanistan. And seeing kind of how the, the Biden administration floundered and just kind of shoved it off to the side, uh, it really hit hard, hit hard to me. Uh, and that's why I jumped. That's why I decided to, to run for Congress. Yeah, one of my theories about the success of Governor Yunkin there in Virginia was the idea that people saw – there's so many military – uh, families in Virginia and the mm-hmm. way Afghanistan was handled. And then here comes a Republican on the ballot. Um, and I think that that swayed a lot of people over into Yunkin's part of the camp. I, yeah. I don't know if that's true, but that's my theory of it. Yeah. I mean, and we got a lot of military installations. Look, if you look, I mean, I'd argue that we probably have some of the largest military installations in, in my district alone in the seventh congressional district. You know, we've got Marine Corps base Quantico, you know, that's one of the largest right. Marine Corps bases in the nation, uh, down in the second congressional district, down in Jed Kiggins district. Uh, you know, you've got Norfolk, Newport News, you know, massive Navy presence there. Uh, you know, even in, if you go up towards Northern Virginia, you got Fort Myer, you got Fort Belvoir. 
you know, you got a yeah. lot of military installations, Fort Lee uh, in Virginia. I think you're absolutely right, Jason. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. So we're we're talking about we're talking with Derek Anderson, who's running for Congress uh, in in Virginia's seventh congressional district. You know, we did some stories. I guest hosted for Sean Hannity uh, last night. Tonight, I'm guest hosting for Laura Ingram on the Ingram Angle. But we we had nice. talked about, um, and I had been interviewed about this as well. I want to get your theory on this. You know, younger generation, they, there's a significant double-digit percentage of the population think thinks Osama bin Laden actually is a good guy. Um, and what's going on with this younger generation? I mean, they grow up in a different world than than I grew up in, and maybe you grew up in, but the younger generation, they just don't seem to have the appreciation for this country or service. Or I, I got a lot of concerns about this young, upcoming generation. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. And you, I mean, look what look just recently, Jason, what we've seen with everything going on in Israel and Gaza, right? You know, shortly after October seventh, you know, when you know hundreds of Israelis were murdered um, by terrorists. Like these people are terrorists. Like let's let's not let's, let's call it what it is. These people are bad people. We saw you know a lot of people out in the streets. We're still seeing it. You know, two months afterward, two plus months afterwards, we're still seeing people in the streets. Jumping up and down, uh, trying to make some sort of argument that you know, Hamas are good people—it's ridiculous. Like I, I truly don't understand. You know, I, I speak with a lot of my obviously my veteran friends, uh, and we talk about this in in, in length. And so you know, we 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 kind of think about our experiences, like the ones that have gone to Iraq and Afghanistan and lost, you know, lost guys and women. You know, we we've lost our service members, our friends, uh, and we look at kind of what this prerogative of the, of the other side, I don't, I just don't understand it. I truly don't. It, it's a loss of words for me. I think a lot of it is misinformation. I think that they don't truly understand what's going on in the world. Uh, you know, I think that they, this, this is a way for them to air grievances out of some sort of personal animosity with someone, something, I don't know. Uh, yeah. But at the end of the day, it's trouble. It's troubling. It's troubling to see when people are, you know, days after, you know, hundreds of Israelis are being slaughtered in Israel. Uh, you know, Hamas did come over the border of Gaza and murdered Israelis. Right? There's no doubt about it. Uh, and, and they're the ones individuals marching the streets. Yeah, and they're the ones that took hundreds of hostages and killed exactly. more than 30 Americans. And that seems to be lost on them. My concern now, moving forward, is uh, President Biden did make some good, strong statements of support of Israel, and uh, mm-hmm. he did move and deploy assets into the region but boy we've been attacked more than a hundred times and there's a pretty good case to say he's not doing all he can to get rid of the problem that is attacking the united states listen to this cut 19 this is senator lindsey graham um he was on fox and friends uh talking about secretary austin and, and president biden and their failure to protect our troops Secretary Austin and the Biden administration is failing our troops in the field. I admire him. Uh, He's a patriot, but he's not doing a good job protecting the soldiers. I asked him a couple of months ago, Joey, what you were talking about. Is there a red line? Would you tell our enemies publicly that if you kill an American, we're coming after you? Without Iran, there are no hooties. The hooties are completely backed by Iran. I've been saying for six months now, hit Iran. They have oil fields out in the open. They have the um, Revolutionary Guard headquarters you can see from space. 
blow it off the map. If you really want to protect American soldiers, make it real to the Ayatollah. You attack a soldier through a proxy, we're coming after you. Too strong? Strong enough? What's your take on that? No, I think I, I think Senator Graham is on point. I mean, here's the problem with the Biden administration. You're absolutely right, Jason. Like, the, the Biden administration has reacted, and in some instances, we've been like, hey, okay, finally. But the problem is, is that it's a day late and a dollar short. It's about timeliness. Uh, it's kind of like a bully, right? Like a bully that walks down the hallway and shoves you up against the locker every single day, every single day. He's going to do what? He's going to continue to do it until you, you know, right. give him a little sock in the face, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the end of the day. People are going to continue – uh, these Houthis and all of these other uh, surrogates for the Iranians, uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're emboldened. By, by every time that they attack and we don't respond, they're emboldened to do it again, and that's the problem here. Um, and, and like you mentioned, Jason, we've had over 100 attacks on U.S. installations across the United States or across the world, including, uh, you know, Iraq and Syria and what have you. And, and we're just seeing the responses delayed, right? Like, we, we just saw that the Biden administration deployed all of the ships over into the, uh, the Red Sea, right? Um, but it's two and a half months after Israel has been attacked. We've had over 100 attacks on our military installations. Thank God we haven't had any um, soldiers or service members that have been killed. I mean, that, that's, that's the thing is that, you know, I, I've said this before and I'll say it again, is that you know, the, first, the first service member that's killed overseas from these attacks, the blood's going to be on the hands of the Biden administration, right? They can't, they can't just say, oh, well, it was a one-off opportunity. It was a one-off thing that happened. Like We've been seeing the attacks go on over and over well, for the last two and a half months. And, and to this date, we still – to this date, we have still not attacked a Houthi rebel in Yemen. Yeah, we continue it, to, to launch attacks. We, we, we put all these assets there as deterrents, and then they don't deter. And I want there to be a mm-hmm. disproportional response. Not a proportional response, a disproportional response. Do that, and you'll be speaking the language that they will understand, that nobody attacks the United States. You harm a United States service member or an American, and you will have hell to pay. So that's that's what's really got to happen. Derek Anderson, candidate for Congress in Virginia's 7th Congressional District, have a good look at him because uh, six deployments, serving as a Green Beret, Special Forces Green Beret, Again, first first and foremost, thank you for your service. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful uh, Christmas and Happy New Year. Um, and you can check him out at Derek for VA, Virginia, which means Virginia. But Derek Anderson, thanks again for joining us on Fox Across America. Stay with us. We'll be right back. It's America's number one radio lunch date. Get your hands out of my fries. Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Buy your own damn fries. This is Jason Chaffetz. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, like I said, a lot's happening out there in the world today. Um, you know, in Mexico, you have the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Homeland Security, meeting with uh, the U.S. ambassador to Mexico, as well as meeting with the Mexican president. Now, the initial reports were, and there were no on-record, off-the-record briefings, but they were good meetings. I don't think the American people are convinced, I'm certainly not convinced, that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and the Biden administration actually want to shut down the border and just have legal immigration. I I think they have um, opened up the border and they're fine with people coming here illegally. 
because once they do come here illegally, the, the statute says that if you come across the border, not through a port of entry, but between the ports of entry, you shall, shall be detained and deported. That's what the statute says. You know, for all the Democrats who complain about comprehensive immigration reform and we have to have this. No, you don't. You have to enforce the current law. And if you're going to advocate for something, then put out a bill, an actual bill. Now, most members of Congress will not talk about that bill. They will not move it. And you know what? The United States Senate has that bill out there. Supposedly, the Joe Biden said, oh, I, you know, early on, I put out what I want to have happen. Well, that needs to be put in writing. And uh, guess what? Chuck Schumer has the ability to bring that bill up and try to vote on it and pass it out of the United States Senate. But he doesn't do that. They just like to be able to complain about it. That's what they want to be able to do. Now, Jonathan Fahey, who is the former ICE director, was on Fox and First, Fox and Friends First this morning talking about these meetings that our U.S. officials are having in Mexico. Here's his take of what's going on. Cut 18. This meeting is really just a mere, you know, trying to create the pretense that they're doing something about this, you know, because they're starting to get a lot of bad press and a lot of political pressure to do something about it. So they're going down to do this meeting for for really just for, for show to make it, again, appear like they're, they're taking this issue seriously. But in fact, they're not, because the answer to this problem doesn't rely in Mexico. The answer's here, and it's their policies and their refusal to enforce the law that's created this absolute catastrophe on a daily basis and so i have no optimism although they will probably get some decent press and it may actually help them politically by doing this it's real simple folks just enforce the current law tell them we're shutting down the border and as they come across then they have to deport them that's what they want to do if they want to legally and lawfully apply for asylum they need to go through a port of entry and there's going to be a super long line but to let them into the country and then give them a a date, as we have seen, at least in one example, of 2031 to show up at a court is ridiculous. It has an effect on all of these major cities, every single state in the in the country. You have the big city mayors, the Democrat-run cities, complaining about the massive use of resources. And then in this country, we run, run stories on uh, you know Fox Business and others that are concerned about how um, homelessness is a problem how the cost of rent is a problem, how people are having a hard time affording homes. Well, guess what? When you throw, say, 4 million people into the country, guess what? They're going to need beds. They're going to need the housing. They're going to need jobs. They're going to need food. They're going to need education. They're going to need all of these resources that cost money. And they don't have the paperwork in order to get out, go out and get a legal lawful job. And so the Biden administration say, oh, this is Bidenomics. Look how low the the unemployment rate is. It's much higher than that because they're not in the labor pool legally. But guess what? They are using housing. And uh, that has a huge, huge effect on what's going on in our country. And so I think it's just, you know, when you hear these other cities complaining and you have somebody like, the, one of the biggest cities in our country, New York City, a Democrat, Eric Adams, can't even get a meeting or a discussion with Joe Biden. Go to cut 16 and his take. It baffles me. Uh, you know, New York City is the economic engine of the state and the country. Uh, and I don't have the answer. Back in April of last year, I was alone on this topic. 
Uh, but now you're seeing others uh, coming forward and saying, you know, hold on, Eric is right. Uh, and they're joining us. And that coalition is, is going to continue to grow because these cities deserve better. And I'm not only talking about New York, uh, Chicago, Los Angeles, El Paso, Brownsville, uh, you know, all of these cities, Houston, you know, cities should not be handling national problems. Well, then maybe it shouldn't be a sanctuary city. And maybe you shouldn't be a sanctuary state if you can't handle it. And uh, uh, But it, I start with denouncing that. The other thing is you can't just throw billions of dollars at it. You know, they will try to say, oh, Republicans want less money. That's not true. And I keep hearing Democrats say that, and it's not true. What you don't need is massive more money. You need to actually be able to enforce the current law. Enforce the current law. That was comprehensive immigration reform way back when. And if you got something better, then go ahead and introduce it. But we'll never solve this problem if you lack the political will to address it head on. And the addressing it head on is not, hey, send us billions of dollars to, to take care of it. Because guess what? The next year, they're going to need more money. And why should I, why should you have to reach into your wallet and then pay to help solve this problem because it was a policy decision by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. They're the ones that set this problem up. They're the ones that, uh, that did this. And uh, I get pretty worked up and pretty, uh, pretty vehement about this. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Tom Petty, always a good way to come back into the show. I'm Jason in the house is where you can find me on X and Instagram and my podcast. Just type in Jason in the house and you'll come find me. Uh, I'm Jason Chaffetz and uh, I do appreciate you joining us. Uh, I've got on the line here one of my favorite people on the planet. I wish I could uh, uh, have her on every segment I do. I get to guest host uh, because she's just a wonderful human being and always full of energy. Help me welcome Tiffany Smiley. Tiffany, thanks for joining us on Fox Across America. Yes, thanks for having me, Jason. Um, I love being on with you, so I really appreciate it. Now, you ran for the United States Senate in Washington State and did far better than I think most anybody thought you you would do because I mean Washington yeah. State's just a that's a tough liberal bastion when you count Seattle and other places little sounds like it that is. uh you get yeah uh but you've been a great advocate for um for veterans your your husband of course served and has an amazing story now uh, way back when I actually did a podcast with you. So again, one of those Jason in the house podcasts with Tiffany Smiley. It's a great inspirational story. And uh, we won't recount all of that now, but look, <laughs> you're a mom, you're a, you know, you've been a nurse, you've been on the farm, yep. you've done everything. So yep. <laughs> when you, when you, you know, from, from the state of Washington, there's a whole lot of craziness going on in the world. Um, but what do you think people are most concerned about up in the, the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, you know, Washington State is is a very interesting state. And, and even though, you know, it was a giant feat to take on the whole state, half of the state is very, very red and Republican, lots of yeah. agriculture, lots, lots of hardworking, um, common sense, you know, people. So 
um, it's just unfortunate that often our politics are dictated by a certain, you know, more highly populated area, which anytime you go to Seattle, it's completely crumpling and falling apart um, at every turn um, from the fentanyl to the crime to the drugs. It's, it's really disappointing and heartbreaking, to be honest, especially as a mom of three young boys. When we looked at, you know, across Washington State, when we went through um, all the COVID measures and the lockdowns and kids were out of school, um, it was truly heartbreaking to see what was happening. But, you know, going through my campaign and traveling all over Washington State, I was in every single county, many of them multiple times, talking with people. It's really fascinating because one thing we, we noticed was a lot of people just don't vote. And I, and I think that's problematic in our country as a whole. Um, we met so many incredible people. I mean, a lot of people were Democrats, some were independents, and they want better for their kids, for their grandkids, for their future. They, they see, you know, sort of the, the crumbling of bad policies, and um, they want better. They want hope. They, they want the United States to remain, you know, the best country in the world. But unfortunately, what we're finding is just people aren't turning out to vote. So um, – yeah. But when you, when you, you know, there are big city urban issues, you know, the immigration yes. issue is playing out, you know, in New York and Chicago. But when you look Even at Even in Washington rur- State. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Seattle. I mean, it's everywhere now, right? Yeah. But when you look at rural America, what issues are kind of unique right. to them? They probably look at the, uh, the challenge that they're dealing with as a little bit different. I mean, is it, is it inflation? Is it the economy? I mean, what is it that they're concerned about? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's inflation. It's the cost of living. Um, I was just in the grocery store, you know, a couple of weeks ago talking with a retired farmer and he just wanted to say hi and how proud he was that he could vote for me. And he said, you know, I, I retired, but I wasn't expecting gas prices to be this high. I wasn't expecting, you know, grocery bills to be, you know, where they're at now. And it's just sort of this feeling of he, he looked at me like, I might have to go back to work. Like I might have to, you know, have a supplement to, to help me get through this time. Um, and and really, there there's just so many good-hearted people in this country and in Washington State that, uh, you know, what we're being sold and and what we're seeing, it's not reality to to the people I'm talking to. Certainly, um, there they every most everyone's like, what is going on, right? What is happening to to our country? and to our state. This isn't indicative of who we are as a people. Um, And so that's why I believe, you know, this next cycle, Jason, is so important um, in who we elect. I always encourage people to choose candidate over party. We need good people on both sides of the aisle to get into office. Um, But I would say certainly people out here in Washington State, they are absolutely worried about the economy because there's really no hope, you know, um, for this ending in, in the future. Um, and our national debt continues to grow. Um, that, that's going on, you know, the credit card of our children. So um, there's a lot of issues that are, that are weighing, you know, on the hearts and the minds of the American people and certainly people here in Washington State. Now, again, you, you've, you've got a lot of military service in your family. Uh, you have a great inspirational story there. But, you know, we've had two on the show earlier. We had two military veterans, both happen to be Green Berets, who are now running for mm-hmm. political office. And we've talked about yeah. the need to have more people 
uh, who have military experience running. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of military spouses out there and families and kids and others. And I, I look at the world and the way Joe Biden has been the commander in chief. And, I, you know, from Afghanistan to what's going on now, doesn't instill a lot of confidence or am I misreading that? No, you're absolutely right. It doesn't. It, it you know, I always say what we're looking at today, um, as far as you know, the the wars that we're involved in, our military being stretched thin. Jason, I think it's also important to note, um, which is also very troubling to the military and to just the American people, um, is that the U.S. military is actually dealing with a recruiting crisis. Yeah. Um, so we uh, in 2023 recruiting goals we missed it by 41,000 people. I mean that's a lot of people. Right. Um, and so you know why is it, that though? It, why is that? Well, you know, I I think you know part of it is just um, there's a, a lower percentage of individuals that are serving, and most of those that go. Most individuals that join the military are from military families. So I believe we need to expand that. We need patriotism back in this country, and we need a commander-in-chief who's strong, right, who leads from a place of strength, peace through strength. And unfortunately, sort of what I was talking about at the beginning is Joe Biden showed weakness on the world stage with the failure in Afghanistan, the failed departure in Afghanistan, deeply hurt um, our military families, you know, to, to see how much – so many families have sacrificed. I mean, we have friends who have been in Afghanistan more than they have in the United States of America and away from their families. And to watch that failure on the world stage has just set us up, right, to be stretched thin. We're not meeting our recruiting goals. Um, there's not a sense of strength and peace through strength, right? And that starts at the top. That's, that's in any organization, right? And if our commander-in-chief is showing weakness on the world stage, I mean – our military families are the ones holding us up, and, and they're the ones that are exhibiting courage and bravery every single day in the face of an administration that is unable to stand up and show the world that we are a shiny beacon on the hill. It is our military families that are absolutely doing it day in and day out. Yeah. Um, the, but we – yes. The, and the moral superiority of where we're coming from, we're not coming – there to acquire land and take riches we're coming we're going there to protect freedom and liberty and that's right and and to secure the world and make it a safer place i mean the people that we have that are put in place to keep shipping lanes open and keeping pirates off the seas and and nation states that are trying to expand think of china and others so that they can control the world and all the assets that that those are the things that we're trying to do but that that kind of righteous approach gets lost on a lot of people, and, and I do think it starts with the commander-in-chief and certainly the vice president, who's been, in my personal opinion, pretty embarrassing in this. In this. She'll say, oh, I've been to 40 countries or whatever it is that she's been to, but you know, the basic jobs that she's supposed to be uh, handling and being involved and engaged in, and, you know, right. and to send two secretaries down to meet with Mexico and say, oh, we're having good meetings. Well, okay, great. But what are you actually going to do? Because what are the you results? don't have to have Mexico's permission to shut the border. That's right. So uh, talk to me about the immigration side of the equation, because there's a lot of people that think, oh, yeah, well, we need a labor force. We need cheap labor. So, hey, why not just let them all come in? They can pick our crops and, and uh, you know, uh, you know, work these menial jobs. But, boy, is that just... Ugh, that's just, I don't know. I get, that's disgusting in yeah. my, my opinion. 
Right. There, there's got, there has to be a process, right, and a way, a way to do yeah. it that works for the American people and works for the immigrant as well. Um, and you are right, Vice President Kamala Harris, she is embarrassing. She's the so-called border czar um, who is doing nothing about the border, um, affecting the American people every single day. I think there was just new data that released that showed 242,000 illegal migrants uh, were encountered crossing the U.S.-Mexican border in December. <laughs> in one month. I mean, that's the highest total ever for for a month. Um, 17 individuals on the terror watch list were encountered. Um, this is, you know, a, a direct. I I see it as a dereliction of duty um, to the American people in in keeping us safe. Um, not only that, you know. Let's let's actually talk about immigration policy. Let's actually get procedures in place that work and tell everyone to stop flooding and, and coming into our country illegally. Yeah. Um, it, you know, we could go into, you know, it's not just the terrorist watch list. It's, you know, terrorists coming across our border with drugs, with bombs, with guns, um, destroying our communities, affecting you know, sort of how we started the conversation. You know, people here um, in eastern Washington state, they're affected by the drug crisis. They're affected by the crime. They're affected by, you know, unable to find and hire hard workers. Like, all of this is, is connected. And Kamala Harris, this is on her shoulders. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's it's. Well, she doesn't act like um, it. She certainly doesn't take responsibility for it. And now there's a high-profile meeting in Mexico, and she's not even on the attendee list. Um, you're meeting with the president of a nation. Uh, that would certainly be appropriate for the vice president to go and attend that meeting. But no, 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 she's over nope. there taking, you know, taking pictures in the residence there with her gas stove, telling Americans, we're going to get rid of these gas stoves. I mean, it's just really really bad it's it's really unrealistic and i hope you know jason i hope no, when november 2024 rolls around that um the voters will turn to republican leadership to address these issues um that that kamala harris and joe biden have created yeah yeah tiffany smiley uh thank you so much for joining us one of the one of the great, uh, great people on our planet here. I hope you have a chance to go to the Jason in the House podcast. Listen to my uh, interaction uh, with her, the discussion. I think you, if you want to learn more about her and her story, it's a great way to do it. But uh, Merry Christmas and uh, Happy New Year to you and your family. Thanks for joining us on Fox Across America. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The critics have spoken. Well, that was different. Yep, lousy, but different. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. All right, I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Jimmy. Uh, who's having a wonderful holiday, I hope, with some family. Well-deserved uh, and thrilled to fill in for him. I, I have a lot of fun doing this. Um, one of the things I wanted to make sure and talk about, because I had uh, I was guest hosting for Sean Hannity the other night, and one of the guests that we had was uh, James Comer. And as I told him, he's my second favorite former, or second favorite chairman of the uh, House Oversight Committee. Of course, I we used to chair that committee. So I've been through this. I have issued subpoenas. I have been in some of those intense meetings and whatnot. A thrill of a lifetime, honored to do it. Um, and I asked James Comer 
when he was talking about things. What is his biggest concerns? What are his worries about, um, you know, what, what do you need next in order to do this impeachment inquiry? Um, but, you know, you think about this for a second. You have a duly issued subpoena. Now, if it was a regular court they're used to and a, a judge orders you to, you know, provide documents or show up and attend and you just decided you wouldn't, guess what? Uh, you'd probably be going to jail. You'd be issued a, you'd be going to jail eventually if you continued to thumb their nose at them. One of the things that's been learned through this investigation, and I think James Comer has done a wonderful job, is that you have Joe Biden as vice president using up to three different pseudonyms, using fake names to communicate with people. Now, some of that has nothing to do with what's going on with uh, this investigation. But a lot of them probably do. And one of the communications was with a guy named Eric Schwerin. Eric Schwerin was essentially, and I'm using my term a little bit loosely, the business manager for the Biden family and Biden family businesses. So he did things for the family personally, but also did them for the business. And that intersection, interweaving is really interesting. If you're going to use government uh, assets and communications tools, guess what? Uh, those are the property of the government at that point. Um, could have used a personal something or other, but no, he didn't use government uh, assets to do that. And so the committee wants to see those communications. Now, the National Archives says they have them. Well, the committee gets to see them. Uh, remember, the government works for the people. It's not the other way around. You also have additional bank records, phone records, and other right types of records. And you also have people that need to come before the committee and testify. Testifying is not an option. It's not something that is, oh, well, you know, if I want to do that. So Hunter Biden famously goes over to the Senate side, not the, not the, the House side, goes over to the Senate side and says, um, look, I'm here. But he's only going to answer legitimate questions. And, I mean, you can't just – look, if you show up at the committee and you want to plead the fifth, go ahead. But you can't just not show up even though you, you are available, you are in town, you are at the United States Capitol. They're going to have to hold them in contempt. And they better, with the same vigor and, and speed, prosecute Hunter Biden for noncompliance and non-attendance as they did the people like Steve Bannon who were – you know, prosecuted for exactly the same thing swiftly. He's awaiting sentencing, um, and it, it just makes for a fascinating case. This is not about Hunter Biden. This is really about Joe Biden. Let's listen to Cut 26, James Comer on Hannity. And we know that he communicated with every single person that he said he never met with that sent his family millions and millions of dollars around the world. So the American people know something stinks here. And uh, that's going to be a problem for Joe Biden moving forward. Not only are his policies a disaster, but the American people think he's a crook. Remember how the more it's morphed from Joe Biden said he's never, ever had a conversation with anybody involved in any way, shape or form to do with Hunter Biden's businesses, even though he was shepherding uh, Hunter Biden on Air Force Two around the world in places that he did deals, not London, Paris and, you know, Buenos Aires. No, they're talking about. 
you know, places like uh, China, and he did deals with the former mayor of Moscow. And, I mean, you just you get to some really shady stuff here. They have to answer the questions. They have to provide the documents. That's going to be the big challenge for the Oversight Committee moving forward as they move into uh, the new year. And uh, with an impeachment inquiry behind them, I think they're in good shape to do it. This is Fox Across America. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Actually, it should say Jason Chaffetz. Uh, it's Fox Across America with Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Jimmy, a Fox News contributor. I got a podcast, Jason in the House. Got a book called The Puppeteers, The People Who Control, The People Who Control America. And tonight I'm uh, actually filling in also for Laura Ingram. Uh, so I hope you have a good chance to watch the Ingram angle tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. Boy, we got a good lineup on that show as well. But uh, right now we we got some good important stuff to talk about as we uh, as we get ready to launch into 2024. And you know, one of the key things that really affects everybody's life is our fossil fuels. And uh, I, I'm pleased to have on somebody who knows this topic inside and out, Daniel Turner. He's the founder and executive director of Power the Future. Daniel, welcome to Fox Across America. Oh, it is an honor to be on with you, Congressman. Thank you. Oh, well, listen, I, I have watched you. I've heard you. You've written this great piece um, in uh, The Federalist. It's called We Can't Let Fossil Fuels Die Because They Keep Us Alive. You know, that's a pretty good thing. I need things in my life that keep me alive. I like oxygen. I like to be able to be warm. I like to be able to drive places. So um, I'm a, am I wrong to say, hey, look, I like all of the above energy. You know, I'm okay with hydro. I'm okay with electricity. I'm okay with, but don't get rid of something I vitally need in order to make my life better. Yeah, and that's the big uh, lie, or at least the half truth, that the green movement uh, perpetuates, and and it's a huge problem. They keep telling us, look, we need to get rid of fossil fuels and go to wind and solar. We need to get rid of fossil fuels and drive EVs. Uh, and if you carry out that extension to to its logical end, if we implement what they said at COP28, that climate summit in Dubai, which maybe you and I were the only ones not there because 80,000 80, other people attended that summit, where at that summit they said we're going to get rid of fossil fuels. We're going to phase out fossil fuels. Well, the point of my op-ed is to say, but wind and solar and EVs, that's only a small percentage of what fossil fuels do. Fossil fuels also do things like create Tylenol and laundry detergent. I talk about the number of medical devices in that op-ed um, was I was with my dad in the hospital, but our medical industry is fossil fuel uh, laden. Our agricultural industry is, and I don't think the average American realizes that you know your 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 wife's yoga pants and yoga mats and Lululemon and uh, I, I very honestly, unless you're willing to go to the grocery store and bring home a raw chicken wrapped in cloth and then hand wash that cloth. Otherwise, you're putting it in a bag and you're putting that bag in styrofoam and you want fossil fuels. All of that is made from oil and gas and coal. And so what is President Biden's plan? What's Joe Biden's plan when we phase out fossil fuels? Where are we getting rubber and plastic and the millions of life-saving devices that those are the raw materials for? No, it's just crazy. When I have people lecturing and, you know, I go to 
<clears throat> maybe a restaurant, get a maybe a Diet Coke, you know, and want to have a straw. And they say, oh, well, we don't have straws. I'm like, really? You think that's going to change the planet? I mean, garbage. Okay, let's tackle that. But don't tell me that my plastic straw is like <laughs> destroying the planet. And and that's the, the punitive measure that the environmental left always implements. And it's always against us, right? We look at these horrible images of, of, of plastic in the ocean. And as a result, we ban plastic straws. But the answer is, well, 90% of that comes from China. Why do we have to ban plastic straws? And you've traveled this country very well. Um, I've traveled this country well. We've walked along our beaches. I don't see our beaches covered in plastic. I don't see us dumping our plastic in rivers. So why do we have to give up our plastic straws? And maybe that's just a little symbol. And when you try to talk to people, they're like, oh, big deal. It's just a straw. But it's not just a straw. It's an attack on our way of life, and it's somehow telling the American people they are guilty of these environmental crimes when actually they're not. You know, China got off. I mentioned the Dubai conference, COP28, a couple of weeks ago. China got off scot-free. We were told as Americans we needed to eat less meat, right? John Kerry was at that, right. that announcement. We need to eat less meat. We need to stop using fossil fuels. We need to – but when you look at the world pollution, China is the leader. More than twice America's emissions, 90% of ocean plastic comes from China. More than 50% of the world's methane comes from China. So why do we always have to punish ourselves for the environmental crimes of other nations? When's Greta Thunberg going to go to China? Yeah, <clears throat> all you have to do is go to some of these third world countries. You can go to Africa, you can go around the world, and you can see the pollution just flowing out of their streams right into the ocean, and it's disgusting. You mentioned John Kerry and the idea that we're going to get rid of this. He certainly hasn't led by example. I always find it rich when he starts uh, attacking uh, meat consumption. He's <clears throat> married into the heir of the Heinz ketchup fortune. I mean, does Heinz ketchup do more to promote the consumption of hot dogs and hamburgers than about any company out there i'm fine with them doing it but don't tell me you want to get rid of it when you're making your millions of dollars by selling more ketchup to service those burgers and and hot dogs it's just part of the hypocrisy that is john Kerry. <clears throat> pardon it is, me and it's it's funny that the, the the leaders of the environmental movement in america you mentioned john Kerry. you think of bill gates you think of tom steyer you think of michael bloomberg they're all billionaires, or in the case of John Kerry, he, he married into a billionaire family. But the rest of them are are not just rich. They're they're in, Al Gore is worth six hundred million dollars, yeah. and so who's pushing the climate agenda? And you say, well, what are you willing to sacrifice for climate change? Right? You want the rest of us to sacrifice your straw, right? You want us to sacrifice your your, your leaf blower or or weed whacker. Many states have banned gas powered ones now. You all. Everything has to be well, electric. But what are those folks going to sacrifice for the climate? Even They won't even give up their private jet. No, it's, it, that, that's, again, part of the hypocrisy. And it, it cracks me up, too, when they say, oh, we'll just move everything to electricity. Well, what do you think? How do you think we make electricity in this country? Because they open these solar wind farms uh, or the solar uh, farms, and then the birds start getting fried in the solar. We, we had a wind farm in Utah and they had to shut it down because the raptors, you know, the, the birds, the eagles, the hawks, they were running into the fans and were killing them. So they, they had to come up with a solution to that, and they had to shut the whole thing down. So there's not a viable solution that just makes, you know, electricity magic. 
But why doesn't this country gravitate towards nuclear? Because it can produce the most energy, the most electricity, and do so 100% clean. Yeah, I, whenever I talk to folks about nuclear, I point out that France gets 90% of its yeah. electricity from nuclear power. And they have such a surplus that at times they sell it to neighboring countries <laughs> and they, they make a nice little premium. And if the French aren't afraid of nuclear power, then why the heck are the Americans? And I know that's an easy joke to make fun of the French, but there is some truth to it, right? If the French are not afraid, but yet you have these movements in America that tell us, well, if we have nuclear, we're all going to die. It's always this apocalyptic. It's always full of fear. It's always we're going to die right now. It's Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez six years ago saying we have 12 years left to live. It's John Kerry and Al Gore for decades saying that's it, that the clock is ticking. It's the, the, the United Nations Secretary General recently saying the world is not just on fire, the world is boiling. You, you get a little tired of the hyperbole after a while that, that, that we're all going, we're all on the imminent, uh, the precipice of death at any moment, unless, of course, we enact your socialist agenda. That's going to save us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I've only got uh, literally like 30 seconds left here, but how how concerned should we be about the depletion of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve? It's like half the level of what we've had it in the past. Yeah, it's frightening. When Katrina hit um, back about 20 years ago, we used 30 days worth of reserves. We're supposed to have 90 days of reserves for safekeeping, um, and right now we only have about 16 days. So we have our fingers crossed saying, let's hope bad things don't happen, but that's no way to run a country. No, this is all on Joe Biden. They could they could turn that and fill that back up, which they should do, not for political purposes using it, but using it for true natural disasters and emergencies like a Katrina or something else. Uh, Daniel Turner, founder and executive director of Power the Future, Really do appreciate you joining us on Fox Across America. Have a wonderful, happy new year, and stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. A very inventive, troubled comedian. But let's go to the second point of this. The second point of this is, why did this happen? Jack, the media has yet to connect the dots. First of all, I am the only candidate that Biden and the Democrats are running billboard ads against in Iowa. If you watch my town halls, this happened in my entire last wing, it'll happen this wing. Biden and the Democrats keep sending Democrat plants to do things like this to get the media to react. That's uh, Nikki Haley trying to explain why, given a softball question of what the Civil War was about, she couldn't say slavery. And even when prompted by the questioner to say, well, was it about slavery? You know, she responded with, well, what do you want me to say about slavery? To try to say that, oh, this is a vast, you know, left wing conspiracy that probably isn't cutting it. Uh, I don't know that that's going to actually solve the problem with it put this to, to bed and, and that was not a difficult question what was the civil war about and not have slavery and as part of that answer whoa well let's bring on uh somebody who's got some political experience to give us her perspective on it and that is tudor dixon she was the 2022 michigan republican gubernatorial nominee and uh, i've also done an interview with her on the jason in the house podcast i hope you can listen to that Tudor Dixon, welcome to Fox Across America. Thank you for having me. 
Hey, what's your uh, what's your whole? T- I have no idea where you're at in the political spectrum in terms of supporting of a presidential candidate. But what's your take of this dust up that's happened because you know Nikki Haley's answer on the whole slavery question? I mean, I think it's an interesting dust up considering she has fought against the ideas of slavery and taken down the Confederate flag and all of those things. So it's like, hmm, was this someone? I, I wouldn't go as far as saying it was the Democrats. I could see it being Republicans saying, hey, we're going to trip her up on this because I think that there is some controversy over her decision on a Confederate flag in some areas of the Republican Party. So they're kind of like putting her in a position where, wow, she has to answer this question that really is not relevant to all of the issues that we're dealing with today, but kind of puts her on her heels and has her having to discuss something outside of what people are are really curious about. What are you going to do about the border? What are you going to do about national security? What are you going to do about debt, energy, all of these things? And as long as you can keep her off of those topics, then you can kind of keep her back out of the field. And I think that if you're looking at it right now, outside of Trump, she is the biggest threat to a DeSantis and a Vivek. Well, I thought it was interesting because I don't think it's that difficult of a question. It's not sort of a gotcha, oh, you know, when did you start, you know, doing this or that? It, it was, I, you know, what was the what was the role of the Civil War? What was the starting point? But, I, you know, people are going to judge it for what it is. I thought she missed the answer, missed it badly, and then when prompted to say, oh, you know, was it about slavery? What are your, you know, uh, well... What are your thoughts? And like the guy or whoever the questioner was saying, well, like, I'm not running for president. Um, you know, when you open it up and you're going to say, what's on your mind? What's your question? And she gives such a bad answer. I think it does illuminate some things, but people have to judge that. And we'll see how, you know, where, where it's going to go. Um, I think it's kind of one of those teaching points in history, too, for candidates to you don't have to answer right away. Take a moment to to think about your answer and say, well, let's talk about that. You know, there are ways of stepping back, especially when you get a question that you feel is totally out of context from what you thought the question, you know, when you're asking questions like that, you're certainly not expecting to get a historical question, but yes, you should be able to answer it. So take a moment to make sure you have that answer. Well, sometimes the obvious is just the right answer, right? Um, because, <laughs> you know, maybe it really is that simple. Um, and But we'll, we'll see what's happening there. Um, as you look at 2024 and, you know, I look at what Congress's schedule is like. They have to deal with the funding of the government. They've got the whole Biden impeachment inquiry that's happening. You have funding of important things that are happening with, you know, do you, what kind of money is there for Israel? What is there for Ukraine? What are we going to do to secure the southern border? What are we doing about inflation? And Joe Biden's on vacation. Um, doesn't give me a, a whole lot of confidence. When you're there talking to the people in, in Michigan and, and whatnot, and they look at that whole plate of, of issues, you know, even the Democrat polling is showing that Democrats are really not enthused about Joe Biden. I don't see him leading the charge to help solve these big issues that are that are right in front of us. No, and I think it's incredibly frustrating where you see Americans across the country 
having to work over this time frame when most people are wanting to stay home with their kids. Everybody's off. It's the holiday season or between Christmas and New Year's. People want to be on vacation. They can't be. They can't afford to be on vacation. In fact, they're looking at this and they're saying, well, wait a minute. Up until the last minute, we were told you were working from Camp David. And then at the very last minute, suddenly everything changes and he's going out of the country to, I think he's what, in the British Virgin Islands right now? I mean, give me a break. The American people are looking at this and saying, this was not the year, my friend. You're campaigning. You should be showing us that you're going to do the job instead of taking your 417th day of vacation since you've been president. This is completely outrageous. But will the American people come out and vote? That's what I'm asking for, whether you are a Republican, Democrat, Independent, are you going to vote for a president that's actually going to work for you? And, and Jason, you talk about spending. When am I going to hear one of these candidates talk about making sure that we're trying to balance a budget at some point? Because I think all Americans are saying, hey, we're having to balance our budget. When are you going to decide what to cut and how we're going to get back on track in the United States? Yeah, the numbers are so, I mean, off the charts. I mean, we, we spend more than a billion, billion dollars a day just servicing in the interest on our national debt. And so you're right. You don't, you know, being a conservative, being a fiscal conservative means you actually have to cut some spending somewhere. And, uh, you know, they they talk a lot about Bidenomics, but you know what? I've never heard the president or anybody else really define Bidenomics. They try to point well, to some stat out there. Life is going to stink. That's what Biden Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I know the consequences of it, and it's not working. But I, seriously, like, how do they expect to sell Bidenomics when they have yet to define Bidenomics? I think this is, this is the political world. I mean, you and I know this. This is like the, okay, we're going to come up with a trendy name, and it's going to have zero meaning behind it. But people are <laughs> going to pick it up, and they're going to feel good about it. And then they realize – oh, actually, this trendy name became a name for what is totally wrong with the economy. And they started to say, OK, abort mission, back off of this. we got to get away from Bidenomics. It was the worst thing. It was just a political trick. There was no definition behind it. There is no action behind it. And that's what I think the American people are asking for right now. What is the economic action for this country right now? Because people are, are not able to spend for, you know, the – I had moms telling me right before Christmas, I know it's time for an election because I can't afford to buy my Christmas gifts. Well, if that's how you feel, then you have to be asking, what person am I going to elect that is going to get back to some sort of fiscal responsibility in this country and reduce my taxes? That's right. Reduce taxes and tackle inflation. And Biden doesn't seem to have an answer. Tudor Dixon, thanks for joining us on Fox Across America. We have a governor, a governor, an elected official in the state of Texas that is placing families on buses without shoes, cold, wet, tired, hungry, afraid, traumatized, and then they come to the city of Chicago where we have homelessness, we have mental health clinics that have been shut down and closed, you have people who are seeking employment. The governor of Texas needs to take a look in the mirror of the chaos that he is causing for this country. This is not just a Chicago dynamic. He is attacking our country. Wow. 
That's Mayor Brandon Johnson of Chicago. And Mayor Johnson is blaming Governor Abbott for this problem? Are you kidding me? That is the most, I mean, that is so off the wall, so absurd, so distressing that a mayor would think that the governor of Texas is causing these problems. Cold, wet, hungry, afraid, traumatized. Yeah, these open borders and the magnet that you have in Chicago and Illinois, when they come here, that's where they want to go. They come and they say, yeah, I want to go to Chicago. I want to go to New York. I want to go to Denver. This is where the sanctuary cities are. It's more the mayor that's created this magnet and this problem. And they're not denouncing their own policies and their open and their sanctuary city status. They're trying to blame the governor of Texas, like Texas should take in all these millions of people. You don't think it causes stress on their city and their state and their resources? Well, let's get a perspective from uh, the Florida Attorney General. Uh, she's one of our favorites. Ashley Moody's on the line with us. Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody, what's your take Great on to be uh, with you, Jason? Yeah, thanks so much for joining. I have you on a lot. When I'm on, I really like it when you come on, and I do appreciate it. But what's your perspective on what of Mayor course, Johnson is saying out of Chicago? The ultimate sleight of hand. Ultimate sleight of hand. And this is the Democratic playbook, always, always. When there are bad policies that we know are going to have disastrous consequences come to bear, immediately they try to shift blame and blame someone else. And, and blaming Texas for trying to, you know, desperately do what they can to provide some stability and security and safety to their own state, to blame them for their own city's you know, devolvement into chaos because of their own policies. That is a democratic way. Blame someone else. You've watched the White House do it for three years, even though as soon as Biden got in office, he started asking for less resources at the border, less resources to detain people. He immediately started breaking down every sort of security measure there that would have provided a semblance of, of, of stability and security for this country. And what did they do? Blame someone else. Blame yeah. the Republican governors that are trying to do something about it. Uh, it is it doesn't surprise me at all. It's an ultimate sleight of hand, and that's what they're best at. Yeah, no mention of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. No, you know, I, what I do hear him talking about, and I hear these mayors talking about it, is, oh, we need more money. We need more resources. We, we, we need to – it's not – Hey, why don't we close the border? Why don't we turn off the spigot? Why don't we stop filling this bucket with water because it's overflowing and we can't handle it? And no denouncing their sanctuary city status. Why won't they do that? Of course, because that's what they do first. They try to cover up. It's a huge dim cover-up, right? As soon as one of their policies shows, shows the hand how bad it is, they immediately throw more money at it to try and cover it up so the people that have put them there don't realize they've made a huge mistake right first throw money at it which is what biden's been doing trying to do this whole time in office on every policy he's come up with throw more money until the country can't withstand it anymore but but this whole sleight of hand this whole try to blame someone else or create a new narrative that is what they do i mean look at what they're doing right now with the historic numbers at the border you know they created a, a record one day um surge those encountered were hitting records constantly they're calling this a recent and this is the white house's words right recent border surge this is not recent it's been happening 
his entire time in office. In fact, his first year, he hit the number encountered in Obama's, one of Obama's entire terms uh, at the border. You know, they're saying, you know, they're sending some Blinken to Mexico as if that's going to do anything to help, like Biden cares. It's going to do nothing. They're talking about opening up more entry points. He has the ability to do something tomorrow. He has created this. And all of this, all of these dim talking points is just smoke and mirrors to cover up what we've known and what we've watched happen. And that is catastrophe uh, waiting to hit all along while Biden's been at the helm. Exactly. And you're right. They don't need the the, um, the permission of Mexico to shut down and close down the border. Uh, it'd be nice to get their cooperation to slow down the trains and do, you know, and to try to close the door, the border down on southern Mexico, so people aren't flowing north up out of Guatemala and whatnot. But um, they, you know, they're they're not uh, they're not dealing with that. They're not dealing with reality. Try to shift the blame to Governor Abbott, who's doing a, you know, doing the best he can possibly do, and Texans having to pour billions of their own money in to help solve a problem that the federal government should do is absurd. All right, I got to shift gears here because I want to talk about. These uh, pro-Palestine, anti-Jew, anti-Israel, you know, um, uh, protests that are going on. Look, it, it, from my opinion, it's the American way to protest. And if as an American citizen, you have a right to peacefully assemble and peacefully protest. But what I see is something that's stepping far over the line and go moving beyond uh, just mere protests. And expressing their opinions. And I can't even imagine what law enforcement is having to deal with. Think about New York City on New Year's Eve. Really? I mean, all these reports coming out that there's going to be all kinds of protests. Um, you look, you're attorney general of a big state. you got big cities. What, well, how should they be dealing with this in New York and other places where these protests are so uh, unwieldy? You know, I've, I've been so proud of the state of Florida. We, we have, you know, faced the same national pressures and challenges uh, that, that we have seen, and we have withstood a lot of that uh, chaos and resulting violence and, and riots that often evolve out of uh, these things because what happens is you have jurisdictions where they will turn a blind eye to criminal acts, criminal acts that are blatantly criminal, Uh, All in the name of, you know, that it's some sort of, you know, part of some demonstration and they have a right to do that. You know, in Florida, we've made it very clear. We want there to be tolerance for free speech. That is people's rights to to express their views. Uh, But that in no way uh, should devolve into a criminal act. And if it does, people will be held accountable. We've passed laws to make that clear. We have suggested um, strongly uh, that when we go into this, law enforcement warns citizens that we will have a zero tolerance for criminal acts in, in, in the midst of people professing to just be expressing free speech. And for the most part, and of course you have, you will always have things that, that occur and you have to deal with, but for the most part, Florida has been able to maintain law and order and a sense of security here in our state. And I, you know, I say that that should be the, the blueprint for the rest of the nation. We want to make sure we're protecting individual rights. That is why government exists. It is why we have created and what we have demanded when we are a government of the people. But what we will not tolerate is people committing criminal acts against each other. And as Attorney General, as soon as October 7 happened and 
we saw some of this sprout up around the nation. I said to our university as well as our other uh, police chiefs around the state, please this, communicate that we will have zero tolerance for criminal acts, zero tolerance for hate crimes. And for the most part, I've been extraordinarily proud of it, our state, and I think it, be, it can be repl- replicated state uh, nationwide. Now, as I recall, Governor DeSantis, didn't he, like, wasn't there a district attorney somewhere there in Florida, as I recall, who was, I don't want to say just dismissed or fired, I don't know what the proper term of, but relieved of their duties because um, they just were refusing to enforce the current law. Yes. So in our constitution, our law allows for the governor, actually more than allows, it sets forth the responsibility for the governor to make sure that our officials that took an oath to do their jobs do those jobs. And if they are not doing that, um, if they are negligent in that, if they are, you know, willfully not doing their jobs, the governor has a duty to remove them. And he did. He removed two state attorneys here um, that, you know, were not following the law. They they put themselves above the law. They said, I don't agree with certain things, and I'm not going to prosecute certain things. And uh, the governor, you know, takes his responsibility very seriously and, and removed those folks. So, you know, I think I, I was on the phone this morning with state attorneys. You know, our state attorneys here in Florida, for the most part, understand that you have to have a chief legal officer doing their job that they've right. committed to do. That is, number one, enforcing public safety. And if they're doing their jobs and they're enforcing the laws— Um, Of course, we will always have to deal with the problem of crime, but it won't create this atmosphere of anything goes, you know, the criminals believe that it's a revolving door. And that does provide folks a sense of security in their backyards. And that's so important. Yeah, no, I I think it's a feather in the cap of uh, Governor DeSantis to have the political guts to actually, you know, use that as a tool and, and make the necessary change. Uh, last question. We're talking with the uh, Attorney General of Florida, uh, Ashley Moody. Uh, last question for you. Uh, Florida State seems to really kind of gotten screwed, quite frankly, out of this national championship. The ability to, to I mean, they're they're undefeated. How could they not be in a position to actually get to the championship game and be the national championship? It's not like they had a soft schedule at Florida State. Yeah, they were undefeated. The first Power Five conference champion was undefeated to to not have a playoff spot, to be denied that opportunity. Anybody, any rational thinker, you know, had to scratch their head and say something seems amiss here. Um, and and truly, with with the with the consolidation of the conferences and the power shifting, um, questions needed to be asked. And of course, my office has jurisdiction to investigate antitrust. Matters. We sent a demand uh, for information. You know, there are really two options. Let them decide the winner and the opportunities behind closed doors or ask the questions that need to be asked to determine whether there are antitrust concerns. We chose door number two. Uh, and, of course, they have lawyered up, and we are now reminding them of their obligations pursuant to our civil investigative demand. But, you know, I think everyone wants answers how this how that could happen, how a team like Florida State with that record at this moment in time could have been denied that opportunity. People just want to make sure that winners are determined on the field, right? Not not behind closed doors in a boardroom. And that's what we're after, just transparency no, I, here. I, I feel for the whole Florida State uh, family and fans, I feel bad for them. You're undefeated. What else are you going to do? And like I said, they didn't play some softball schedule and playing, you know, 
I won't name some school or, you know, but essentially playing the high school teams, they, they were, they were playing some tough teams out there and did exceptionally well. They're a great football program. Um, and I'm a big fan from afar. So, uh, Ashley Moody, you're always generous with your time and talking and tackling some big issues of the day. I wish you nothing but, uh, the happiest of new years. Uh, Ashley Moody, the Florida attorney general. Thanks for joining us on Fox across America. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Critics are calling it the funniest show on the radio. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. I almost had it. Essentially, a lot of aides have, that I've talked to have been struck that Biden, behind closed doors, repeatedly says, you know, I feel so much younger than my age. And he says it so often and with such real sincerity that there has become this tension where he ends up overextending himself, that basically aides feel that he does not know his own physical limitations and that he tries to do too much. And, you know, that has this you know, adverse effect where he ends up wearing himself out. So even though he is doing more events, he actually presents as more tired, which is then how you get these poll numbers that show that over 70 percent of voters have serious concerns about him doing a second term. That's Alex Thompson on CNN last week. It's such an interesting, funny analysis to me that he's actually overextending himself. I mean, the guy leads a pretty blissful, uh, easy schedule. There's nobody that can justifiably look in the mirror and say, oh, yeah, that guy works, you know, he, he outpaces all of us. Um, that That is, there's nobody that I have bumped into who understands the ways of the White House that thinks that Joe Biden is, like, underutilized and that he, you know, he's ahead of the schedule. He may think he feels younger than his age, but it is showing you can just play clips of just four years ago versus now. And you can see the obvious cognitive decline. You combine that with his policies, which are not resonating and are not working. And that's why you get such bad poll numbers. You know, the younger generation, they look at it and say, he acts like a retiree and he does. He's on the beach and then he's on his vacation. And then he's at his, his home, you know, in, on the beach. And then, he can't lift out the chair from the sand. And, and then he's at Camp David during Christmas. And what does he do? he got to leave Camp David to go to the Virgin Islands, for goodness sake, for another week. And meanwhile, all of these things at home are not going in the right direction. I, I've said this many times before, but I really do believe that the 2024 election, A, I don't think Joe Biden will actually be the nominee. I think he either comes back from this vacation and he says, I've had a wonderful career. I'm going to pass the baton and, you know, let him go fight it out or they get to the convention. I just don't think he's going to be the nominee. But let's pretend that he is the nominee for the presidency of the United States or whoever the Democrats put up and whoever the Republicans put up. I think the core of the election in this next season is going to be about safety. It's going to be about safety in your wallets, in your own homes, on the streets. It's going to be about safety at our border and securing those. It's going to be about the safety of us overseas and our troops. And when America doesn't feel safe, they make changes. And right now, America doesn't feel safe on any of those fronts, internationally, on our borders, in our streets, on, in our wallets, you know, inflation is still a way above the projections of what the Federal Reserve wants it to be. And even if it got it back down to 
they're still growing on top of what is a massive, massive increase in spending. You know, the growth in jobs, that's what the White House will point to. But you know what? Um, one of the biggest growth areas, usually one or two in top of the of the heap there, are government jobs. Government jobs. That's where the growth sector is, is in government jobs. And so I want nothing but a good, vibrant economy. But when you don't have a cogent energy policy to make us energy independent, when your solution and is Bidenomics, but you haven't yet defined Bidenomics, as best I can tell, it means more government, more spending, which is the traditional liberal viewpoint of we just need more money. Um, just print more. Just keep doing more. That is not the solution. You know, he says, oh, we're trying to work on the middle class. We're trying to work on, you know, building from the bottom up, not the top down. Hogwash. The rich people in this country get along just fine. When their inflation goes up and the, you go to Costco to get that little thing like uh, my wife did uh, uh, yesterday with the chicken and the tortillas with the little cheese and stuff, that used to be like $9. Now it's $15. That has a real effect on people, and the price of gas has come down because production's gone up a little bit, but you know what? They don't have a policy to deal with this, so it's going to be all about safety. I tend to think that Joe Biden won't actually be on the ballot, but 2024, boy, we are going to come you know, next week, and it's here, folks. It is here, and uh, I hope you have a prosperous new year, a happy new year. Thanks for Jimmy for letting me fill in. I'm Jason Chaffetz. This has been Fox Across America. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.